Grace and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, who brings us great comfort in the name of Jesus. Amen. Here, a little portion of our epistle lesson today. St. Paul writes to the Philippians saying, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that you, your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. So far, our text. This morning, we heard St. Paul's opening word from his letter to the Philippians. And Philippi was a major landmark in Paul's missionary work. It was where he and Silas first met Lydia, uh, who was a great support of Paul during his missionary work. Uh, his missionary work and his witness of the gospel was also confirmed there, as God showed great love, care, and deliverance for Paul, as Paul and Silas were arrested in Philippi for casting out a demon from a slave girl. The Roman magistrates had Paul and Silas beaten for disturbing the peace, and they had them locked away for the night. And in the night, as Paul was made a prisoner for Christ, an earthquake opened all the jail cells and loosed all the shackles, and Paul and Silas, they could have walked right off. But as the jailer came down and saw that the sails were open, he assumed the worst. He was going to take his own life until Paul had stopped him. He didn't leave his cell, neither Silas, but they remained in there. And they gave witness to the gospel of Christ. They shared the message of their risen Savior with this jailer, and the jailer and all of his household were baptized. The next morning, Paul was set free by the Roman magistrates when they realized he was a Roman citizen. But as we see, Paul then leaves from there. They said, leave town, don't come back. But as Paul gets out of prison, immediately what does he do? He goes once again to the house of Lydia, and he shares the gospel of Christ once again. These events in Philippi demonstrated the love of God at work for the sake of the gospel. As a man who would have been considered Paul's mortal enemy, that Philippian jailer, received the gospel from him with intense joy. And Lydia, who upon hearing the gospel had her entire household baptized and welcomed the church to come and gather in her home. And you can imagine these two people. You have the Roman jailer and the Jewish merchant woman sitting in the same house worshiping the same God. These two people who would have never socialized outside of that context were joined together in a beautiful fellowship of love. The gospel of Jesus Christ had created an affection and friendship that would not and could not have existed otherwise. And that natural affection that exists in Philippi is shared by Paul as he writes to the Philippian congregation, God is my witness. I yearn for you with all of the affection of Jesus Christ. And so we see in this body of believers 
The dividing wall of hostility is torn down by a shared love for the forgiveness of sins that is received by faith in Jesus. This longing and this love is of a completely different character than anything else we see in the world. St. Paul is being completely sincere in telling the Philippians how much he cares for them and how he prays that they care for and love each other. And he expresses this care and love as he, and he expresses that he hopes it grows among them as he writes, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more and knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. In other words, here's what Paul is saying. He prays that the congregation would grow in God's word. And by that growth in the word, that they might be purified from all sin and know what is good. Know what is God-pleasing. Know what is wholesome. And bear fruit of faith with each other in love. In other words, they will love each other as God demonstrates his love for them. What a beautiful image we're given of a church that is fed with the gospel of Christ, growing in love for each other. A church that loves the word of God, and from that word is enriched in every way. A church that has discernment and wisdom, being able to distinguish good and evil. A church that has a shared love for the gospel of Jesus that forgives sinners and in that love grows in a natural affection for each other as they do not forsake the fellowship of believers, the preaching of the word of God, or the good fruits that are born out of faith in Jesus. Paul commends the Philippians for this and he prays that they grow in it as he himself had great benefit from this faithful congregation. Perhaps... This beautiful attitude and image is lacking in the modern church. The natural affection for the body of Christ that is born out of fervent love for the gospel seems to have given way in the world around us to a lukewarm Christianity. Now rather than a bond of fellowship born in love that is born out of a shared love for the gospel, we see something strangely different as people often approach church today as consumers and individuals. Rather than the dividing wall of hostility being torn down by a shared love of the forgiveness of sins in Christ, well, we'd rather just avoid people altogether. Avoiding conflicts that need to happen and creating conflicts that are not necessary, well, we seem to want nothing to do with each other as we see a lukewarm love for the gospel with infrequent or nearly non-existent church attendance or forsaking the fellowship of believers, it's perfectly acceptable so long as I justify it in my own mind. Love for the gospel is not demonstrated in how we live or treat others. Rather, it's an afterthought. We consider our faith in Christ after we've considered every other practical and earthly factor. Now, I'm not saying that's what we do here, but I am saying that these attitudes exist in the church of God. And all of this shows how apathetic Christians have become as people care more about politics or sports or Marvel movies or whatever trash is on TV than they do about growing in their faith and in love. Every election 
as we just had one last week, it's treated as if it is the event that is going to either end or save the world. Sporting events are the cause of more zeal and fervor than any religious sect in the world could generate. And yet people are unwilling to even share the gospel with their children. They would go crazy if their kids grew up to be Packers fans, but they wouldn't bat an eye if their children grew up to be heathens. It would break their hearts if their children grew up to be Democrats. But it's no big deal if their kids leave the faith. That's heartbreaking. Love grows cold when God's word is neglected. And pastors often share the blame for this. In many ways, preaching has become very formulaic and shallow in the modern Christian church. Every sermon every week is the same TED Talk. You're a sinner. Jesus loves you. Be happy. Amen. Wrapped up in 15 minutes or less. And all the while, they're not encouraging people to grow in reading the word. They're not encouraging the Christians in both public and private prayer. They're not disciplining the flock when it's strayed. They're afraid of pushback if they preach against certain specific pet sins. And no wonder so many people have abandoned such a cheap and shallow representation of our Christian faith. No personal buy-in, no discipline, no change of heart or belief is required at all, no net worth. It's not worth it. Cheap Christianity with cheap grace, that makes love grow cold. True Christianity has meat. It's bold and robust. It is for sinners, the worst of them. It makes lions out of lambs. It gives strength to the weak. It comforts the afflicted. It stirs up true and faithful love. Not a shallow and superficial love, but the love that only the gospel of Jesus can create and stir up in people's heart. Because the gospel is not a shallow thing. It is not a superficial thing. It is the most important and life-giving thing that has ever happened. God was made man so that he could die for sinners. This is the love that Christ bears for us. It is the love that dies for the unworthy. St. John puts it this way, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation or the satisfaction for our sins. We as Christians need to hear this gospel. We also need to hear why we need this gospel. That means we need to hear God's word of law. We need it to accuse us. We need it to unveil the things that we would have set aside and hidden in the dark. We need it to drive us to repentance. We need it to teach us what love looks like. We need those things that cause true and fervent love to grow. What made it possible for that Roman jailer and that Jewish Lydia to join in the worship of God all at the same house? What caused the Philippians to show love and concern for St. Paul when all others had abandoned him to sit alone and abandoned and neglected in prison? What was the fact that they were all sinners who loved the gospel? If we don't know that we're sinners, then we have no use for the gospel. 
If we have no use for the gospel, then we have no use for God's church, and we also have no use for the training in righteousness or the wisdom or the comfort that God's word brings to us. When we stand outside of Christ, comfort becomes something so completely foreign and different than what God reveals. It becomes an escape into numbness or perverse pleasure. Comfort becomes something shallow like eating a gallon of ice cream or drinking a bottle of whiskey or binging on television or sexual pleasure or some other temporary escape from the world. It's just diving headfirst into the first escape that we can find. It's loveless, it's foolish, it's selfish, it's sinful, and it's temporary. It ends as soon as you're done with it. That's not what the Christian church gathers around. We do not have a temporary comfort. We do not have the full wisdom of this age. We do not have a righteousness that shifts with the wind. But we have the love of Christ who has died for sinners. We have the God who gives everything so that we might be united with him as one body. Our fellowship as God's church is centered around confessing this living God who has given himself for us as we gather to grow in wisdom and understanding of the gospel and what it works in our lives. Because this gospel frees us to love one another. I want you to think about it this way. If a man likes a woman, decides to kidnap her, take her to his house and say, you're my wife now, she will never love him. She might serve him. She might even be faithful to him in her outward actions. She will do whatever he says and try fervently to meet his desires, but she will only do it out of fear and compulsion. They might call it love, but that is never what it will actually be. On the other hand, if the man confesses his love for her, puts himself at her service, providing for her needs, and sacrificing for her out of selfless love, then... She might love him. She will joyfully marry him and care for him and serve him, not out of compulsion and fear, but out of fervent and faithful love. This is how it is with God outside of the gospel. All service to God is out of fear and compulsion. We're just trying to stay on his good side so he doesn't punish us. We do good things, but there's no love in it. It's either works righteousness or self-justification, but it is not love. It is only when God humbles himself, is born of a virgin, is suffers and dies for our sins that we see and know what this love is. It's only when our sins are forgiven that we're truly free to love. It's no longer a compulsion that's born out of fear or a drive that's born out of the search for pleasure, but it's a joy that is born out of freedom. Outside of the gospel, people often do good to make themselves feel good or look good to others. It's often a way of signaling to the world how virtuous we can be. Eventually, that's all it is. We say the right things, we repeat the right catchphrases, and people think we're righteous. People say we're loving. I remember a few years ago, a very confused young man who I had worked with in a kitchen started to lecture me about gendered pronouns. He said that if I call a person a he, that, we, that maybe really identified as a she, that I could hurt their feelings. And in reality, this man didn't care about anyone's feelings. He just wanted to feel like he was a good person 
as he smugly said, I'm just trying to do my part to make the world a better place. See, it was all about him. It was about self-justification. There was no love. If he really cared about a person whose feelings might be hurt, he would have addressed the issue that caused them to deny who they actually and biologically are. Rather, he wanted to feel like he was doing something good. And so he could feel good about himself. He wasn't loving. He was selfish. That's exactly what the Pharisees did. They would do the rituals and have the outward works of righteousness, but they had no love in their hearts. They simply wanted to look righteous. They wanted to convince God that they were righteous. They wanted to convince themselves that they were righteous. And that's why Jesus says, Woe to you, Pharisees! For you tithe mint and rue and every herb from the garden, but you neglect justice and the love of God. Those you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So they didn't understand love because they denied the gospel. They rejected Christ. They thought it was all about keeping the requirements of appeasing God. And they forgot that the law that they so fervently followed was to teach them what love looked like so that they could receive the love of the gospel when it came to them. That often is the case. Yet, Christ gives himself fully for unworthy sinners. The godly for the ungodly, he gives himself for no other reason than that he loves us and desires to make us into his holy people. He wants to sanctify his bride. And she is rebellious. She is unworthy. She doesn't deserve it. Yet, he loves her. He joyfully gives himself over to death so that she might be his own. It says in Hebrews, Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured the cross, the shame, the pain, and the death for no other reason than that he loves you. God was born of a virgin because he loves you. God experienced human weakness because he loves you. God died because he loves you. This love of Christ, it changes who we are. We see this with St. Paul as he told the Galatians. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You see that old Paul, that Paul who was a Pharisee, that Paul who hated the gospel, that Paul was, who was continually trying to justify himself, he's dead. That old sinful flesh is dead. The desire to justify ourselves is dead. And in Christ, a new life begins. And that life is centered around one thing. Jesus loves me and has given himself for me. We're forgiven sinners. And the ultimate expression of love that we can have towards one another is to live in forgiveness. Jesus teaches this to his disciples as he celebrates the first Lord's Supper. After washing his disciples' feet, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another, and by this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. 
Here we see Jesus give them a perfect example of Christian love. First, he gave them his body and blood for the forgiveness of their sins. He gave them the shared confession of his cross received in faith with the promise that sinners are rescued in this eating and in this drinking. And then he humbles himself before them. He washes their filthy feet. What love. And he then tells the disciples, love each other like this. The next day, that love would be demonstrated for all the world to see as Jesus will go to his cross. And amid his misery, he will cry out, Father, forgive them. The same love of Christ is implanted in you. Through your baptism, through the reception of the Holy Spirit, Christ dwells in you. Just as Jesus has risen from the dead and reigns in heaven at the right hand of the Father, he is alive in his Christians. And that means that we are free to love as he has loved us. As it says in Ephesians 3, that according to the riches of God's glory, that he might grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, and that you, having Christ dwelling in your heart, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that you might be filled with the fullness of God. You are grounded in love, to know love, because Christ dwells in you. And so we in Christ are free to love one another. And that love begins within the fellowship of God's church. If we desire to live in love, we must never grow cold to hearing and receiving the gospel as a body of believers together. And that means that we should dwell in God's word and set that word at the center of our fellowship and our life as God's church. And as we live in this fellowship, we should look to the word to inform us how we are to love one another. We're not to think of love in the way that the world does, either as a selfish affection, a lust, or as a way of self-justification, but to let the gospel show us what perfect love is. Because the world, love is about pleasure, love is self-serving, but according to God's word, it's about Jesus who has died for our sins and now dwells in us through his word. As we live in fellowship around that holy and perfect word of God, we're called to live in love. And in that love, we're called to live in the forgiveness of sins. As we corporately, as this body of believers, gather around that living and perfect forgiveness, we are freed to live in forgiveness and love toward one another. The basis and foundation of our fellowship as the church, our fellowship in Christ, must always be the forgiveness of sins found in Christ that is worked for us by the love of Christ. And this is why St. Paul prays that the Christians in Philippi would grow in knowledge and discernment. And in that growing of knowledge and discernment, they might grow in love toward one another. He's praying that they would grow in the word of God to know what is good, to know what is beautiful, to know what is wholesome, to know what is beneficial, to know what is God-pleasing, to know what is faithful. And in all of this, as they grow in the word, they will grow in love toward one another. This is praiseworthy. 
It is good. My dear Christians, my dear friends, grow in love by growing in the Word. Don't let your love for the Word of God grow cold because love itself will grow cold in your heart. But rejoice in what love has done for you. Rejoice in what Jesus has done for you. And Christ will bring all good things to completion. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would grow in all wisdom and knowledge of the Word. And as we do, we pray that you would cause us to rejoice more and more fervently in the gospel of your Son, Jesus. And in this joy, teach us to love one another, not as the world loves, but as Christ has loved us. Never allow our fellowship as a congregation to grow cold to your word, but cause us to be faithful in hearing it, reading it, and growing in it, so that we might know what true love is. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in the true faith to life everlasting. In the name of Jesus, amen.